and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I'm Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. You can get the podcast, as always, on YouTube, as well as the Odyssey app, because we're part of the Odyssey family. I've got my guy Mario behind the scenes producing. You can also get it on Apple, Spotify, all the usual podcast places. Subscribe, rate, review, all of that stuff. And subscribe on YouTube also. Even if you're not watching it on YouTube, that still helps me. So we're just going to do a solo pod today, just kind of going through everything that happened over the last 72 hours with the trade deadline and just everything kind of going on there. I just kind of wanted to get on here and break all of that down the way that I see it. Uh, Joe Cronin, the Blazers general manager, is scheduled to speak to reporters this afternoon at 4.30 before the Blazers game against Oklahoma City. I haven't heard anything yet one way or the other about whether Cam Reddish or Matisse Thibel or Ryan Archidiakono or Kevin Knox, the four new players that they got in the trades, are going to actually be available to play in the game. I kind of heard mixed things about whether they were going to be able to get in in time and take their physicals and get all that kind of stuff squared away. So by the time you're listening to this, that probably will have already either happened or not. So I'm not really going to talk too much about the Oklahoma City game tonight because by the time you're listening to this, that'll probably be dated and I don't know who is or isn't going to be made available to play. But I want to start with what happened on Wednesday night and just kind of walk you guys through that whole night from my perspective because it was kind of an interesting night on a lot of levels. So we get to the arena... We do kind of the pregame media availability for Chauncey Billups and then also for Steve Kerr. They, they kind of go back to back. And then about half an hour before tip, I go up to my seat on media row, which is usually about when I go up there. And, you know, the guys are out there shooting around, warming up, kind of normal layup line, getting shots up type of stuff. And nothing is really out of the ordinary. And then, you know, I'm just kind of on my computer looking at Twitter. And, you know, another part of this that's uh, making all this even more complicated is, I mean, everything's knock on wood, seems like it's kind of back to normal now. But on Wednesday night was the same night that Twitter crashed and all the stuff about, like, they killed off the API and, you know, they were going to make TweetDeck paid only. Like, so you couldn't even really even see tweets half the time. And so I was kind of trying to get all that figured out. And then... My guy Austin White, who covers the team and covers a lot of you know local sports stuff for the Portland Tribune, who is seated next to me at a lot of the games on Media Row, taps me on the shoulder and he's like, dude, I think something might be happening. And so I look over down at the bench, I have kind of a clear view. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Media Row seats are directly across from the Blazers bench at the top of the 100 level, so you have a pretty good view of what's happening on the bench. And... I see Josh Hart, who two minutes ago had just been warming up and getting shots up and just participating in the layup lines like normal. 
he goes over to the sideline. He is talking to Dane, and then he gives him a hug and walks off the court. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, that's kind of weird. Like, I, I, we all, obviously, we all know, you know, we've talked about it on here. I've written about it. We've all kind of heard the same stuff. Josh is going to be in trade rumors, and he's probably the most likely guy on the team to get traded. But I can't say I've ever seen a player get traded 10 minutes before a game where we had just been told an hour before that that he was available to play and he was going to start. I just, that's just not something that you really see that often. And then over, uh, you know, on the bench or kind of on the sidelines, uh, Rick Riley, the team's head of security, who's kind of always out there, has his phone out. And like all the guys on the team who were just shooting around and in the layup lines just kind of go over to Rick and are looking at his phone. And I mean, I'm assuming that they probably just like got a text from somebody saying that Josh was getting traded. And then like, as that's happening, you know, I'm up in my seat, I'm, you know, sending texts, you know, making calls, trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And, you know, is it like, did something happen with Josh? Is he getting traded? Where's he going to go? And then, you know, as this is going on, now the Woj tweet comes out that Josh Hart is getting traded to the Knicks. And it's like, well, okay, then <laughs> he's getting traded. And, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I couldn't tell you one thing that happened in the game against the Warriors. From what of it that I was actually able to pay attention to, it was a pretty good game. And I was actually pretty impressed that the Blazers, you know, I can't imagine how emotionally draining it would be to find out 10 minutes before a game that one of your guys is getting traded. But they came out and they got off to a quick start and that allowed them to withstand a couple of different runs that the Warriors made. And I mean, I know that the Warriors didn't have Steph Curry, but the Warriors also didn't have Steph Curry when they beat the Blazers in San Francisco in December. So at this point also, you know, Portland is in a position where, you know, they're kind of in the back of the play-in race, clinging to just whatever they can. You can't really complain about, oh, you know, they beat this team, oh, but they didn't have this guy. So like, it was a good win for them to get. And frankly, they need to get, all three of these next ones, the one tonight against Oklahoma City, who has already beaten them twice, and then the Lakers on Monday and Washington on Tuesday. You need to close out this homestand if you want to kind of stay in the race. So that was kind of, obviously everybody was like preoccupied with what happened with Josh and trying to figure out, you know, you, you know that then, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out like what the uh, deal is as far as like what's coming back, you know, what's trade, uh, and, you know, we find out it's Cam Reddish, Ryan Archidiakonos, Fee Mikhailik, and the pick. And then you figure out that, okay, the pick. I think my thought at the time was that that pick, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's lottery protected from the Knicks. And if they don't get it this year, then it becomes four future second round picks, which, you know, second round picks are kind of fake. And we'll get to that in a little bit because the Blazers got five in the trade for GP2. And there were just second round picks being thrown around all over the place. But as it is right now, the Knicks are pretty decent, and they're at least like firmly in the play-in range, and I think it's a pretty good shot that the Knicks are going to end up a playoff team, which means that the Blazers are going to have a first-round pick, regardless of whether they end up making the playoffs and conveying their pick to Chicago, or missing the playoffs and keeping their pick, or, you know, we'll get we'll get into some of that other stuff a little bit later, but... Anyway, like, that was kind of what everybody was focused on during the game. After the game, which they won, which, you know, I think that was one of their best wins of the year. You know, I think the, I think the best win that they had this whole season was the one in Memphis last week that Eric and I talked about on the last episode of the podcast. But uh, this one was right up there. 
And of course, you know, Chauncey Billups after the game couldn't talk about any kind of prospective trades or reported trades because there are rules about coaches. I mean, these, these rules don't apply to players. And so Dame did talk about it, but coaches are not allowed to talk about trades or roster moves or players that aren't on the team because the uh, call hadn't actually gone through with the league and the paperwork and nothing had been finalized. And there are rules about like team employees and team officials can't talk about this stuff publicly until it's actually made official. So then that happened. Dame gets up. We asked Dame about it. And, you know, Dame talks about how he's always liked Cam Reddish's game. He's going to miss Josh Hart. It's all kind of, you know, basic stuff. While Dame is up on the podium, we get an alert from, I can't remember if it was Shams or Woj, but one of those guys that broke the news that Jakob Pertl was getting traded back from San Antonio to Toronto. And we're all kind of looking at that. And then as Dame gets up to leave the podium, someone tells him that. And he kind of looks around and is like, wait, who got traded where? Like, it's it's actually just kind of a funny illustration that, like, the players are just as curious about this stuff as everybody else is. And they all find out about this stuff on Twitter and through Woj and Shams and whoever else is breaking these stories, just like we all do. And so then, you know, we go back into the media room. Only a few of us are left. And, you know, I'm working on writing something from the game and whatever and about the the heart trade and all that stuff and then we look around about eleven twenty at night this is the time it is eleven twenty pacific time we look down there's a woge alert the suns have agreed to trade for kevin durant and we're just like what like okay and i mean i'll be honest after the Kyrie stuff went down over the weekend i had thought that kevin durant was probably going to get traded this summer but I didn't think it was going to happen at the deadline. And from what it sounds like, and I know that, you know, the immediate thought was, hey, if Kevin Durant is available, why couldn't Portland have gotten involved in that? I mean, Simon's sharp, all the draft picks, like that's a decent offer. That's kind of what the thought had been. From what it sounds like, though, KD and Rich Kleiman, who's his agent and uh, business partner, went to Joe Sy and Sean Marks and said, we want to get to Phoenix. And then Joe Sy called uh, Matt Ishbia, who was literally on the, in the middle of his first day as the owner of the Suns after officially taking over for Robert Sarver. They got a deal done. They worked it out. It doesn't sound like the Nets opened up the bidding to take offers from other teams. So that happened. And then, I, you know, I went home, went to sleep, woke up early, and then, you know, the trade started to come in. I'm sending texts. I'm making calls. I'm trying to find out what the Blazers are doing. A lot of moving parts in the air. And the other two trades that they made are the three-team. And it, this ended up being officially combined into a four-team transaction, but the way that they were kind of reported separately, there was a three-team trade with uh, Charlotte and Philadelphia where the Blazers got Matisse Thibel from the Sixers and sent out a couple of future second-round picks and Svee Mikhailik, who they just got in the Knicks trade, uh, rerouted him to uh, Charlotte. So they basically got Matisse Thibel for a couple of second-round picks, and that's it. And then the other trade, which was also a four-team trade, but the Blazers' end of it, it was they sent out uh, Gary Payton II back to Golden State, which we'll get to. And then they got back Kevin Knox and five future second round picks. So, you know, in total, I guess, so the Blazers ended up sending out two future second round picks, Josh Hart, Gary Payton II, and they ended up with Cam Reddish, 
Ryan Archdiakono, who also came over in the Knicks trade, and I've been told they're going to keep him. He's a, a point. He's probably going to be like an end of bench point guard. I I covered him for like two weeks in Chicago when his rookie year before I got off the beat. I don't know him that well, but I've been told they're keeping him. So him, uh, so Cam Reddish, Kevin Knox, Matisse Thybul, Ryan Archdiakono, five future second round picks from. Charlotte or not Charlotte uh, Atlanta and Golden State in the Gary Payton trade and then a protected future first rounder from New York that's what the Blazers ended up with so what do we actually think about these trades so I think in a vacuum you can look at it and say that the Blazers and Joe Cronin actually did pretty well just from a pure asset you know, collection and asset management and roster management standpoint, we all knew Josh Hart was going to leave this summer anyway, and they weren't going to re-sign him. So if you can get a future first rounder for a guy you know you're not going to re-sign, that's good business. Getting Matisse Thibel for basically two second round picks, which again, as we've established, second round picks are basically like NFTs at this point. They're not really worth anything. Uh, that's good business. The Gary Payton thing... I was a little bit confused about when it first happened, especially because the version of it that I had heard was that Portland had called Golden State at one point about James Wiseman, who Golden State has clearly openly been trying to shop for a long time and ended up in Detroit as part of that same deal, but that Golden State wanted Gary Payton back. And... So when they did trade him back, I my initial thought, and I mean, this is also, you know, a thought that I had after they got the second, the, the, the first round pick from the Knicks and the Josh Hart deal was they're going to use that pick to get off of Nurkic's contract. And then when they basically just salary dumped Gary Payton back to Golden State for the second round picks, I definitely thought, and that, and that one happened about 10 minutes before the actual deadline at noon. And so my thought was, oh, well, they're going to use some of these picks and Nurk and whatever to get off of you know, that deal and get a different center or like that's going to be the next move that happens and that's going to be the one that comes down to the buzzer because I had heard that they were talking about a few different teams with Nurk and, you know, a few different guys they were looking at. Mo Bamba, who ended up going to the Lakers, was one of them. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, I had heard they were looking at at one point. Daniel Gafford in Washington, I had heard they were looking at at one point. So I thought that kind of one of those was going to come down and then it ended up just not happening and that's the whole deadline. So... <laughs> I think that talent-wise, the Blazers got worse in the short term. But I don't know how much worse they got. Like, I think it was, I would say at best, these are lateral moves. At worst, I think they got a little bit worse. I think the thought that they're just giving up on the season and these trades take them completely out of the even play-in race and now they're playing for the lottery... I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's where their mindset. We'll, you know, we'll get we'll get a thought from Joe Cronin later today when he talks, and I'll be interested to see what his perspective on it is. But I would be very surprised if this second half of this season went the way the second half of last season went when they traded away CJ and Robert Covington and Norm Powell, and it was very clear that they were trying to get the highest draft pick possible and lose all these games down the stretch. I do not believe that that's the direction that the organization is going the rest of the season, because the only way to really do that effectively 
would be to make up an injury to shut Dame down for the rest of the season. And I don't think Dame is going to go for that if he's not actually hurt. Last year was a little bit different because he actually did need to recover from that surgery. And so they had a legitimate reason to shut him down for the season and go after the lottery and do all that. I don't think that with him playing as well as he is right now, they're going to just say, well, you know, we took a couple of small steps back at the deadline. Let's just shut him down, make up a fake injury for him, and try to get a draft pick again. Like, I I don't think that that's going to happen. I think they're going to try to stay competitive. I don't think that, you know, guys are going to start getting shut down with, you know, questionable veracity injuries like they did kind of towards the second half of last season. I think they're going to keep trying to make the play-in and ultimately make the playoffs for, for a few reasons. One, like, you can't have Dame healthy and playing and not try to be competitive. I don't think that's something that they're going to do. And two, and this is the part that I've talked about this before, but this is also the other part that I think people maybe are forgetting about a little bit is they owe their first round pick to the bulls lottery protected for the next three, four, five, six, seven for the next six years. So until they give that pick to the bulls, they can't do anything with their future first round picks going forward. So even if they make the playoffs out of the play-in as an eight seed and that, you know, they get demolished in the first round by Phoenix or Denver or Memphis or whoever they play in the first round, that still means you made the playoffs and now you give this pick to the Bulls and now you don't owe any future picks. And even in the short term, you got this pick from the Knicks and you have a first round pick this year regardless. And so now you pretty much can do whatever you want going forward as far as using picks using salary using uh other you know assets in order to trade for whoever the next you know big name quote-unquote second star for dame is which joe cronin has said is going to be the plan the whole time now who that is i don't know the only guy kind of of that level that we knew was going to be on the market at some point was kevin durant if he were to ask out of brooklyn again but that obviously got resolved he's in phoenix which is where he wanted to go the whole time so that part that one's off the table that one i don't think was ever really an option for portland anyway but that one is off the table now i don't know who the next guy is going to be maybe like pascal siakam maybe carl anthony towns i i don't know i don't know like i from right now if you say okay well who's the second star that they're going to trade for this summer and who's you know who's the guy they're going to trade to uh, you know, give Dame a real shot at contention, which Joe Cronin has said repeatedly is ultimately the goal over the next couple of years. Who is that guy going to be? I don't know. But I think they think it's going to be somebody. And I'll tell you this, they better hope they're right about it because they're kind of running out of time to do this. Like, you can only keep kicking the can down the road for so long. I always thought it was unlikely, and I've said this and I've written this repeatedly, so... I wouldn't call this moving the goalpost because this is consistent kind of with what I've been saying and what I've been hearing and thinking, you know, the whole time. It was always pretty unlikely that the Blazers were going to make the big all-in move at the deadline because it just that those type of guys outside of Kevin Durant who wasn't really available to anybody besides Phoenix, those type of guys aren't really going to be available. The only way they could have gotten in the bidding for any of those types of guys or even really anybody that requires a first-round pick would be if they had lifted the protections on the Bulls pick in order to have access to their future picks. And given where they are in the standings right now, it's pretty risky to lift the protections and guarantee that you're not going to have your first round pick this year. So I don't think they were going to do that just for an incremental upgrade. Like when Jared Vanderbilt, who I had heard for a few days before that trade ultimately happened, was 
very likely to end up in Portland. And I think the package for that was going to be something centered around Justice Winslow for salary matching purposes and a couple of second round picks. That I had heard, like there was a lot of traction towards that happening, but you know, these things are fluid and they, you know, they got a better offer that, you know, came down with all of these different assets from the Wolves and the Lakers. And so that got taken off the table. Now, could the Blazers theoretically have said, we want Jared Vanderbilt so much that we're going to unprotect the Bulls pick to have access to a future first rounder and we're going to beat that offer and go get Jared Vanderbilt with a future first round pick. They could have done that, but do you think that's really the best use of those assets? Like Jared Vanderbilt's a nice role player and would have been a good depth piece for them. And if you can get him for two second round picks and Justice Winslow, then that's a great move. But like trading a future first for Jared Vanderbilt to me is not really any different than trading a first round pick for Larry Nance Jr. after trading two first rounders for Robert Covington. And, you know, Blazer fans kill Neil Olshay all the time for how short-sighted those moves are. I think doing the same thing for Jared Vanderbilt would have been kind of a similar thing. And so I think it was smart of them if that was going to be the only option to say, you know what, that's more than we're willing to pay. We're not going to do it because Jared Vanderbilt, again, good depth piece, nice role player, but Jared Vanderbilt versus not having Jared Vanderbilt is not really changing your chances of getting out of the play in versus not getting out of the play in. Like, I don't think that's a, enough of a real move, a needle mover to be worth doing that. I think they're still kind of saving all their ammo for whatever the big swing is. And again, they need to make that big swing at some point. I think the most likely time to do it has always been this summer. But I, you know, they got to do it. I don't know when that's going to be, but they got to do it. At some point, they're going to have to actually make that swing. Otherwise, they're going to have to probably start answering some other questions about what they're really doing. And I think they know that. I think that Dame knows that. I think that Joe knows that. I think everybody involved kind of knows that. And that's kind of where this is all at. At this point, I think they got worse in the short term, but I think they can still make the playoffs and the play-in. Because especially, you know, let's say they end up in the top 10, which I do think they're going to, because Utah completely, you know, they sold off all the rest of their veterans. Utah's out of it, I think, at this point. And, you know, but I think Portland is kind of still in the mix with, like, the Minnesota and, you know, Golden State, since they're not going to have Curry for a while. Uh, Oklahoma City, you know, New Orleans, who has been without Zion for a while, like they're kind of still in the mix with those teams. But if you get into a single elimination game in the play in, how many players are you taking over Dame in one of those games? So I think that if they get to the play in, I think they have a pretty good shot at making the playoffs. And I think that's still the goal for right now. It, that's just kind of my read on where things are at. So I don't think that they're, they made these moves in order to take a step back to start trying to play for the lottery. I don't really think that's where their uh, mindset is at. But that, I, I guess, and now as far as the players that they got, I think Matisse Thibel is going to help them defensively. He's going to be able to do a lot of the same things that Gary Payton did, and uh, that's going to uh, help, you know, help them, you know, help them defensively. He's a little bit bigger than Gary Payton. Cam Reddish, I mean, you know, former lottery pick, hasn't worked out in two different places now, Atlanta and New York. But, you know, they love these reclamation projects. They love these, you know, guys that, you know, 
didn't pan out but had a lot of talent maybe they feel like they can develop them to me personally that's something that you more do in a season when you're trying to play for the lottery and just trying to develop guys like last season was that's more when you would take a flyer on somebody like that than in a season like this so you can it's certainly fair to ask questions about whether doing something like that is really the top priority but I think they feel like there's a little bit of upside still with Cam Reddish Kevin Knox I don't see being a part of the future long term but I think to me the most sure thing uh you know of these new guys the most sure thing like probably gonna actually be a contributor would be Thibel and again I don't know whether we're gonna get our first look at him tonight against Oklahoma City I haven't heard yet whether they're gonna actually have any of these guys available but uh I I I don't I don't know I I understand totally where fans are coming from if they feel like they you know the Blazers punted on this trade deadline they took a step back they didn't uh you know do what enough I, I I get it I totally get it I don't think it was a perfect deadline I also don't really know like to me to me if you're gonna say oh, they didn't do enough, they didn't make a big enough swing, you have to then be able to say what was the big swing that they could have taken that they didn't. Was, you know, when, you know, you can throw out whatever hypothetical trade you want, was that offer on the table? If you think that it would have been worth putting in a future first-round pick to take Jared Vanderbilt, like, you can believe that if you want. That's totally fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I personally would be inclined to think that's not enough of a needle mover to be worth it. So... I, yeah, you know, that's that's just kind of where it's at. I, I don't know. I mean, again, the pressure is on Joe Cronin this summer. He is absolutely on the clock right now. Like, they, this is the time. This is going to be the time that they have to make whatever that big addition is. Uh, you know, whether it, again, Pascal Siakam maybe is on the move, Carl Towns. I, I don't know. Whoever that is, there's always somebody we don't expect. Whenever that next guy comes available, if it's somebody that fits with Dame or that they think is the piece, He's got to actually step up and do it, and I think he's willing to swing, it, you know, and do and do that when the time comes. One thing I'll say about Joe, just based on what I know, is I don't think he is above putting anybody in one of these offers outside of Dame. Like I don't think he's so married to Anthony Simons or Shaden Sharp that if they had an opportunity to get like Pascal Siakam, and it, I'm just throwing that name out there because that's a you know, all NBA caliber name that's like you, people look at as enough of an upgrade that might theoretically be available. I'm not reporting that that's somebody that they're going after. I'm just throwing that out as like an example. If you have the opportunity to get somebody like that and you have to give them either Simons or Sharp, I don't think Cronin is so attached to those guys that he wouldn't do it. I think he would do it. I think if he saw the opportunity to do it, he would do it. But he's got to do it. That's just what it comes down to. And I think it kind of has to happen this summer, because if we go into next season and it's kind of the same thing with, you know, Dame, Simons, Grant, Sharp, I don't know whether Nurk is going to be still on the team going into next season. I would think no, but I also thought he wouldn't be on the team going into the deadline. So, you know, that kind of shows what I know. I, you know, I feel like for the last couple of cycles of transactions, we've been thinking, oh, is Nurk going to be back? Is Nurk going to be gone? He always ended up just kind of staying here. But I think if they go into next offseason with all of those guys still on the roster, 
then it is time to kind of raise eyebrows and say, yeah, I don't know, like, what are they really doing? Is this really, you know, what are they really just going to run this back? And then it's time to ask some of those questions, but we'll see what they do in the summer. And I'm, again, I'm very interested to see how Joe Cronin addresses all of this tonight. I have a pretty good idea personally of where his head is at, and I think I've laid some of that out here. But you also have to remember, he's new to the, uh, you know, spinning this to the public side of the job too so i'm really interested to see how he frames it and kind of how he goes about presenting it and you know what you know the way that he discusses it and approaches it and i'm i'm interested i'm 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 gonna be watching just like you are i have a few ideas of what i want to ask him about and we will you know come back probably in the next few days or next week and break all of that down so again rosegardenreport.com for the subscription for the to the newsletter free or paid YouTube for the podcast, Odyssey app for the podcast, Apple, Spotify, all the other platforms for the podcast, and we will be back with you soon.